Well, you can imagine that uh, the past 10 days or so since the general conference that uh, I have read a number of things and I have viewed a number of things, been sent various things uh, to think deeply about where the church is at and where we're going and who we are. And, you know, today is the first Sunday in Lent. And it gives us a great opportunity to reflect upon ourselves as human beings, who we are. Uh, and one of the readings for uh, this Sunday comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And this is chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. The word is near you on your lips and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The scripture says, for one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. So here in this letter uh, to the Romans, Paul is writing to the Christian church in Rome, hoping to come and visit them after his trip to Jerusalem. Now we should understand that Paul did not begin the church in Rome. It was started by believers from the church in Jerusalem, Jewish Christians. And so the Romans continued to uh, practice certain uh, Jewish customs and beliefs like the circumcision. But of course, there were also a lot of Gentiles in Rome, and they began professing faith in Christ, which you might imagine created some tensions for this early Christian community. After all, these Gentiles were different. Their customs, their culture were different from those who had come to Christ out of Judaism. And oftentimes, difference makes us uncomfortable. Difference makes us want to exclude others, separate ourselves, keep ourselves secure, pure, to keep our ways intact. The Jewish Christians were pointing fingers at the Gentiles, suggesting that they were unclean. The Gentile Christians were pointing fingers at the Jewish Christians, suggesting they were legalistic. And so Paul writes to this church in Rome and reminds them that all people are under the power of sin. All people. Gentiles and Jews alike are without excuse before a righteous God. Apart from Christ, 
no one is or can be good. Now, it seems as if for 2,000 years the church has continued to fight the same sort of battle. Who's in? Who's out? Who's righteous? Who isn't? Who's sinful? Who is not? And frankly, I think our struggle today in the United Methodist Church is not much different from this church at Rome. Today, the church fights about whether gay people can be righteous and worship with straight folks. And if we're honest with ourselves, over the centuries, Methodists have looked a lot like the church at Rome trying to figure out who to include and who to exclude from participating in the church. For generations, we believed that African Americans weren't good enough to be leaders in the church. And it's interesting to me as a, uh, a scholar of Methodism that it, the, at the beginning of the 19th century in Baltimore, which was then the Mecca of Methodism, the churches in Baltimore were 40% African-American, 40%. Today, in the United Methodist Church in the United States, we are 90% white, and partly because we refused to let African-Americans participate fully for 200 years. And of course, the Bible was used to justify limiting African-American participation. People of color were considered to be sinful by nature. It took 200 years for women to be allowed to participate fully in the Methodist Church, to be ordained, to be delegates to the General Conference. Men who were the power holders in the church didn't think women should lead, and they found passages in the scriptures to support that position. And of course, women, as the weaker sex, were thought to be sinful by nature. So here we are today with another question of whether people should be allowed to fully participate in the church or not. I know that there are scripture passages that denounce homosexuality, five of them, all but one of them in the Old Testament and part of the Jewish law. There is one passage in the New Testament here in Romans in chapter 1. And Paul is clear that he doesn't approve of homosexual behavior, but some of the commentators think it may be actually more a matter of undermining a hierarchical system where men are dominant and women are submissive but it's certainly a contested passage. And if you read chapter 1, Paul is more concerned with idolatry than he is with sexuality, and alongside his uh, words about sexuality, he adds a list of behaviors that are wrong. Envy, murder, gossip, disobeying parents. And notice here that Paul is not rank-ordering sin or suggesting which one is worse than another. He's simply saying sin is sin, whether it's Gentiles gossiping or the Jews judging others without mercy. Sin is sin, and we are guilty. 
Now, as Paul lays out the question of Gentile practices and Jewish legalism, his point becomes clear. No one is righteous apart from Jesus Christ. All are under the power of sin. And of course, in God's eyes, sin is sin. We may say, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as that sinner over there. But God doesn't say that. God doesn't rank order sin. Sin is sin. And here is where it begins to get tricky, though. The idea that we think we know for sure God's will and way, even though we see in a mirror dimly, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, we don't have perfect knowledge of God because we remain fallen creatures under the power of sin. And Paul goes on to say, look, there's only one solution to sin, faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some scholars suggest that the Greek word here for faith, pistis, might ought to be best translated as faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Not simply a statement that I believe, but another way of saying it might be that I have a deep desire to follow and know Christ and to make him known in the world. Now, I know that different people in this church have different opinions about whether or not gay people should be fully included in the life of the church. The straw poll we took at the all-church meeting indicated that we are divided, but we lean toward openness and inclusion. And I want you to know that I am always trying to draw my conclusions from reading and studying the Bible. I love the scriptures. If I were going to be a contestant on Survivor, I would take the Bible as my one personal item. Well, either that or a toothbrush. (laughs) Just saying. When I read the Bible, I always give the most weight to the teachings of Jesus. Paul is a cool guy. The Old Testament has some great stuff in it, along with some really weird stuff. But it is Jesus who is the head of the body and God's fullest revelation to human beings. And the problem here is that Jesus never says a word about homosexuality. And I simply can't put the teachings of the Old Testament and Paul above the Lord. And when I read the Bible, Jesus commands us to love, to extend hospitality to those the religious folk in society often reject, to welcome sinners to the table. If I'm going to make a mistake in my understanding, I'm always going to err on the side of love and welcome. Now, I want you uh, to think about, uh, imagine that you are now at St. Peter's Gate. And you have two choices here of what uh, you can say when you meet Jesus. Choice A. Well, Jesus, I did my best to love you and to feed your sheep, even though I sometimes got it wrong. Or choice B. Jesus, I did my best to keep sinners away from your church, even though I sometimes got it wrong. 
I still protected and defended you. When I read the Bible, I find that God is always doing new things. God's presence in our world doesn't stop when the book of Revelation is written. God continues to be at work in our world today, and for that, I am grateful. I don't know where I'd be in my life without the love of God. Remember that the Jews were eagerly awaiting the Messiah, a political leader, a military leader like King David, someone who would sit in a great palace on a throne surrounded by wealth and privilege and would lead the men to be victorious in battle against their enemies. But instead, God sent Jesus, his only son, chip off the old block. And Jesus said, put down your swords. And Jesus said, be a servant of all. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. God did something new, and they refused to see it. The Bible is full of stories where God raises up the least likely person, the one society would never choose to be a prophet, a priest, a king, a leader. And that gives me pause. And when I read the Bible, I am reminded that I need God and God's grace every day of my life. I'm reminded that I am too quick to judge others. I'm reminded that I can never live up to the model of Jesus Christ. But I'll try, despite my human shortcomings. I know I need to be careful thinking that I know God's will and way. Even the disciples who were with Jesus in the flesh still got it wrong so often. The Bible is why I always encourage us to welcome anyone who comes into this village, to invite them to be a part of our community. There's just too much hatred and division and discord in this world, and I want people to know and experience the love of God for each of us and for all of us, sinners that we may be. Now, I know not all of you will agree with my reading of Scripture. I don't expect that in any group of human beings we'd ever have agreement. My goodness, people can't even agree on the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, much less important questions. But I hope you'll agree that Jesus and his love toward all remains the heart of the gospel in a hurting world. The last thing that I want to say today is that these divisions, like the one experienced by the Romans or the many created by the Methodists down through the years to this very day, aren't issues to be resolved. The church raises questions about people, flesh and blood human beings. 
When the church makes pronouncements about gay people, or African Americans, or women, or tax collectors, or those who are lame, or deaf, or blind, we must never forget these are real people. They're our sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, and the people we work with day in and day out. They're created in the image of God, beloved of God. God so loved the world. No exceptions. In my job, not as a pastor, not as a seminary professor, but simply as a Christian forgiven by the grace of God, is to hold every life in my heart as a reflection of God. My job is to love to the very best of my ability. And you should know without a doubt that I love each of you and hold you in my heart before God. I believe in the depths of my soul. My calling as a Christian is simply to love, nothing more, nothing less. So, you see, as Paul tells us, it's a matter of faith. For it is always and only by faith alone that any one of us has the hope of our salvation in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.